Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. We're going to be South Sour Girlies. Chicago, come to the South Side. Like Fancy Island. With your South Siders, Shane Reardon and Gabe Ramirez. We're excited. It's going to be a good time. Go White Side. Hey, this is Bullshit. Welcome into another episode of South Sider 670. Second episode in a row that Gabe Ramirez is on vacation. I envy the shit out of him because he doesn't have to watch the White Sox right now. So I have score teammate. And the main man over at Future Sox, Mike Rankin, with me. Mike, how you doing? Good to be with you, Shane. Thanks for having me. Good, thank you. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Get that out of the way real quick. Sure, we're at Future Sox on Twitter. I'm at Rankin906 if you want to give me a follow. And you're launching a brand new show tomorrow for The Score. Uh, Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes are being paired together. Oh, what was that? Yeah, was the... we're doing it. We're Is doing it. stressful it. already? <laughs> Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes, 10 to 2. It starts tomorrow, a new era of 670 The Score. Is it stressful so far? What have you been up to? Not stressful uh, in the slightest. I'll tell you, we're all ready for it. Everything is A-OK. Uh, no, we're, we're ready. It's going to be exciting. There's just a lot of things that we have to finish, obviously, before we officially launch. But as you listen to this podcast, we're up and running. This is going to be something special. Uh, Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes are two of the best to ever do it in the industry. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. Who's on your first show tomorrow? Because this episode will launch tonight before tomorrow's show. How are you starting the the era off? Well, it's going to be exciting. Uh, Ian Happ is being pushed to a new time, 1025 weekly on Mondays. That's the hope. We're going to try and run with that for a while. But Greg Olson at noon, Danny Mendick at one. And we also have James Fegan at The Athletic. The White Sox fans know him well. So it's going to be jam-packed. Very nice. Congratulations. You've worked hard to get there. Those guys will enjoy you as a sound man and as an analytics guy. There was a moment last week where I walked into the studio to uh, talk to Bernstein during your show, and he held up like a piece of paper um, with uh, like sequences from some White Sox pitcher or something like that. And he just he looks at me in like the in the Bernstein face, like with his with his Bernstein eyes where they get wide real quick. And he's like, Mike Rankin is getting to be irreplaceable. Stop. So, yeah, yeah, he did. You should feel pretty good about that. All right, so this is the Southsider 670 Podcast. You can get us anywhere you find podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, Odyssey. However you listen, 
you can listen to this. My name is Shane Reardon. I'm the executive producer of the Afternoon Show, Parkinson Spiegel. You can find me at, at Shane underscore Reardon on Twitter and at Shane's Meet on Instagram. You can find the podcast itself at Southsider670, and you can email us at Southsider670 at gmail.com. Go ahead and get your mailbag questions in. We'll do a mailbag episode probably this week on Thursday uh, leading up into the weekend series against the Orioles. If you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe to the show, Southsider670 podcast feed anywhere. So the White Sox dropped one today, four to three. They dropped two of three to the Astros this weekend. And I want to go real quick to Friday before we get to today. The one glaring issue, um, in my opinion, on Friday is that Lucas Giolito should have never faced Pedro Alvarez uh, in the, I think it was the sixth inning. Um, After that leadoff walk to Alex Bregman, and I know he's 63, 64 pitches in, something like that, Tony La Russa, seems to always be three or four hitters behind getting somebody warm in the pen. Tanner Tanner Banks, the lefty, the only lefty in the bullpen right now with Aaron Aaron Bummer out, was not ready to face Pedro Alvarez. And I'm getting very, very tired of Tony La Russa's inability to manage a bullpen. Were you okay with nobody being up in the bullpen for Giolito, even though we know what happens, number one, to him in the sixth inning, and number two, what happens to him three times through the order, regardless of how many pitches he's at? Right, and it's a different Giolito that we're seeing. It's totally fair, and I'm glad you mentioned the third time through the lineup because that's really more of where it is. You know, you you try to evaluate a pitcher as they're going through it, but also you have to take into account not just pitch count, but how many times they're up and down. That means per inning, you're in between innings, you're sitting down, getting up, going back out there, and you you take into account high-stress innings. So to answer your question, I didn't like – this is evergreen. You can add this to every – frustrating situation when it comes to the bullpen. Tony LaRusa has too much faith in the starter to say often, like often we'll hear him say, this is his inning. Those are his runners. Those are his runs. We want to see him pitch out of it. And I understand it like yeah, to an extent, but you're trying to win baseball games. And these baseball games tend to matter a little bit more now that, you know, the White Sox had a terrible start. So you can't be managing for the next day. And with the White Sox bullpen beating, being beat up as well as the way that these injuries from position players have affected the 40 man. And as a result of 26 man, the bullpen has been taxed. We're seeing a lot of Reynaldo Lopez. And now we're seeing or learning that Liam Hendricks has a torn UCL. And that's been the case since 08. Maybe it's starting to catch up to him because of his age. All these things are starting to come to into play as Joe Kelly really hasn't established himself. So, so far this season with multiple injuries and Kendall Graveman has been used a lot. So, you know, to Tony's defense, he wants to get the most out of his starter. And from his perspective, he's saying this starter has to get out. Like he has to give us a chance, but when it's falling, you have to, as a manager, do what's in front of you and fix it. And unfortunately he's left too many starters out to dry. You know, as a player, when you talk to the manager and say, I want to compete, it's the competitive fire in you. But realistically, Tony LaRusa hasn't had all season long, a good feel of when to take somebody out or when it's appropriate to start uh, guys in the pen. It's just, I, I don't know why it's taken him as long as it has in the past to get guys going, other than the fact that he wants to see a starter work out of jams. It's worked in the past sometimes, but oftentimes when it doesn't, it's cost them ball games. And Lucas Giolito hasn't, I talked about this in my last episode with the 108 guys. Lucas Giolito has not had that similar competitive fire that he usually has. You're not seeing the, the glaring competitive death eyes from Lucas Giolito s- slowly peering over his glove 
that that iconic shot of the eyes just below the bill of his hat and the glove up to his mouth. You're not seeing that edge from him. I don't know what the difference is. The velocity is down a little bit. I don't know what the difference is in terms of the competitive edge, but he hasn't had it so far. Going back to the bullpen a little bit, you talk about the the use of Matt Foster and the the pushback on Friday night was, yeah, he probably left Giolito in too long, but Matt Foster still gave up all those runs, and that's your right now your most dominant right-handed arm in the pen as of late. But situation matters. You bring in Matt Foster with bases loaded as opposed to Matt Foster with one guy on or Tanner Banks with one guy on as opposed to letting Lucas Giolito load the bases. It's complete bullshit. Moving on to Saturday night. That was a horrible loss on Friday. Saturday was great. You knock Justin Verlander out after what two and a third or two and two thirds. He's thrown seven innings or more for 10 starts this season. You made Justin Verlander look bad. But in my opinion, talked about this on hit and run with Cody Decker this morning. It was a lot of weak contact. It was nice to see Luis Robert go the other way, but it was a lot of weak contact down the third baseline. Like I know you pushed Justin Verlander out, but I think there were some circumstances there that aren't necessarily just a nod to the success of the White Sox offense, but maybe a little bit of luck yesterday. So I wasn't necessarily overly encouraged by the White Sox offense for beating Justin Verlander and knocking him out of the game, but there was some weak contact there. What do you think about yesterday's game? Yeah, Saturday was really encouraging, uh, I think, just overall in the at-bats that they were putting together. Yeah, the weak contact thing was, was noticeable. I, I do appreciate their willingness to go the other way. Like you mentioned, Andrew Vaughn had multiple hits the other way. And and same to staying. When Luis Robert is down, he hit one really hard the other way today as well. When Luis Robert's going the other way, he's locked in. And it seems like that has to be the approach for the offense this like moving forward you talk about how many pitches they're seeing per plate appearance i think that's really interesting a lot of these guys are attacking early in the count swing uh, like free swingers and sometimes they swing at bad first pitches it's it's okay to swing at a first pitch as long as it's your pitch and tim anderson's a catalyst a guy who they're going to get back this week which is going to be really important you want to find the consistency in the lineup and I think I'm past the whole on-base percentage thing because this team has convinced me that they're not willing to walk or produce long plate appearances. So get on base however you can. And if that's attacking first pitch, fine. But make sure it's your pitch and also be willing to go the other way. I think it's such an underrated part of hitting. And the White Sox are trying to hit everything, obviously, over the fence and their pull side. But an adjustment like that can, can go a long way for this offense. Johnny Cueto has been an absolute godsend. He has reached the seventh inning six times this season. Nobody else on the staff has done that. He was changing eye levels yesterday. He was changing uh, zones with the changeup. He was all over the place and making Astros hitters guess on everything. He looked phenomenal. No Johnny Cueto in this starting rotation, and they're not two games under 500. They might be four games under 500. He's given six games under 500. I'm sorry. He's given them a chance in every single outing that he's had. And I'm very grateful for Johnny Cueto in tonight's game. A four to three loss showed some, some drive late, but then the, you get snake bitten in the ass by another uncompetitive Adam Hazley at bat. I am convinced that Tony LaRusa believes that just because Adam Hazley was called up for today with what's his face going on bereavement or whatever the hell it is, he thinks that Adam Hazley then just has to play. Like it's some kind of major league baseball rule that if you call somebody up for one game or whatever, he's got to play in that first game because as soon as Javier was out of the, out of the game today, like fuck the lefty righty bullshit. I, it was absolutely done 
with Adam Hazley after he took those two fastballs down the middle to strike out looking with runners on and runners in scoring position in the third or fourth inning, whatever it was, and absolutely embarrassing at that. Then again, I don't really know if there's anybody else in Charlotte that is a better option to come up and play the outfield than Adam Hazley because you know it's a lefty-righty thing. Like, I've talked so much shit. Everybody's talked so much shit about Larry Garcia, but Larry Garcia would have better would have been a better option than Adam Hazley today. Like even maybe Gavin Sheets instead of Adam Hazley on the on the option. Maybe Blake Rutherford instead of Gavin Sheets on the option. Michael Rodolfo still exists. Like give somebody else. You've seen what Adam Hazley is. Every time I see that motherfucker wear a White Sox uniform, I flash back to the promo picture of the signing where he's dropping that ball, sliding as a Philadelphia Philly. Like, I am so tired of this bullshit where the best guys aren't getting a chance to play because Tony La Russa is obsessed with lefty-righty matchups. Even after that bullshit at bat where Adam Hazley stares at two fastballs down the center of the plate because he has, because he has no feel for what the strike zone is. Were you okay with Adam Hazley getting as many at-bats as he did today? you're on it when it comes to handedness and the way Tony La Russa prioritizes big league professionals, Adam Hazley's on the wrong. And really too, like if we go back even further, this is an indictment on Rick Hunt because this is his 40 man roster. And this is what Tony La Russa has to work with. However, Rick has sort of Tony La Russa proofed his roster because Tony has been so adamant about going lefty righty. And we've been complaining about it all season, seeing guys who shouldn't be at the top of the lineup at the top of the lineup, or at least mixing up the top five because their handedness is left-handed. Um, real, so, real quick on that yeah, before you sure. move on mm-hmm. real quick on that, because that's another point. I, I don't want to move, move off of it. If AJ Pollock is in the lineup, AJ Pollock should be leading off. I don't know what the hell Danny Mendick was doing up there today. No well, clue what Danny Mendick was doing there. Uh, Mendick was acting as the second leadoff man, as they like to call it, batting ninth. He's been he's been doing really well, like putting ball, bat to ball. So like the profile suggests, like over the last week plus with Danny Mendick's contact rate and on base percentage, I can understand why he wants to put a player of his profile at the top of the lineup. But again, to your point, really, it's a larger point. The lineup hasn't been consistent all year. It does have to do with injury, but it's also a stubbornness in Tony LaRusso's part that he has to mix in lefties. He has to mix in major league veterans. Now, it started in 2020 when he decided to bench Andrew Vaughn on opening day for a left-handed bat who had like 30 career plate appearances. It's stuff like that that drives you crazy. So when it comes to that aspect, yeah, it's frustrating because you want the best lineup, and I'm totally in agreement. this does not matter uh, when it comes to this White Sox club because they haven't proven it to matter. Yasmani Grandal and Yohan Moncada are your primary left-handed bats along with Gavin Sheets. Gavin Sheets is in Charlotte. Yohan Moncada has played like 15 games all year. Yasmani Grandal is having the worst season of his life. So at this point, just play anyone who's better. It's, I don't care if they're batting left-handed. Can I note something about Johnny Cueto too? Yeah, just, a, just a shout-out to Johnny Cueto. I mean, the guy's got, what, four quality starts and six appearances, and all but one have gone into the sixth inning. I mean, this is... This is a guy without him, the White Sox could be in deep, deep trouble. And really, without a quality pitching staff that's been apparent all season long, the White Sox could very easily be in a lot more trouble than they are right now. If you like what you're hearing, and I don't know why you wouldn't, we are very entertaining and smart. Remember to subscribe to the Southsiders 670 podcast feed. And before we get into Michael Kopech's night tonight, remember to subscribe to Southsiders 670 wherever you listen to your podcast. (laughs) 
Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Michael Kopech, I think, battled tonight. I think he th- this outing was the definition of a grind. Um, Joe Kelly came on our show and asked if we were grinding if we're, if, or if we were having fun. I don't think Michael Kopech had any fun tonight. I think he is the two the first two pitches of the game, those two curveballs that were up and out of the zone, I think is a direct representation of not having enough power on his right leg, on his his plant leg, because it gave out on him on the first pitch. You could you could see a little bit of a wince. It gave out. He didn't have that power on his legs. And that's why his velocity was down. That's why he didn't touch 96 tonight. He was hanging around 92, 93. He might have gotten like 96.1 once, but he was peaking 95. Michael Kopech, that version terrifies the shit out of me. Well, I don't blame you because this is something that we anticipated and the White Sox didn't flat out say it, but we know that the White Sox want to manage Michael Kopech this year because if you look at his timeline, we give him so much slack, but he, he honest, there's no other way to describe it, but you got to be patient with the guy. He, 2018 has his debut in the big leagues highly touted prospect, one of the best prospects in the game. And you can see why and the way he's pitching in the big leagues. But then he gets Tommy John late that year, misses all 2019, 2020. He sits out because of COVID 2021. He's a, he's a reliever, which is not his role, but he was a big league contributor because they needed him. And now he's in his rightful place as a starter. How many innings is that? How many starts is that? How many pitches is that per start? All of these questions are coming into play because of, the timeline of Michael Kopech's career. And that's just something the White Sox have to live and deal with. This knee injury is something new. We said it last after his last outing and what he was concerned about was that there was fluid in his knee and that's just an automatic flag. If there's anything fluid related, that's bothering your knee, you got to get that fixed. He did. And he was able to pitch. Now that's the good news. The bad news is this White Sox team, despite them beating up on the Tigers overall, isn't a very good hitting team. So then it's like, well, how do they win games? Well, they have to pitch well. So you're thinking about like Johnny Cueto and Vince Velasquez, Reynaldo Lopez, Davis Martin, these names who have to be just one of the, you know, the, the key reasons why the White Sox win this year is not exactly what we anticipated going into the season, which leads me to think that the White Sox are going to be aggressive this deadline and try and acquire another starter because in my mind, that's the only way they're going to win a World Series. Before we get into the absolute shit show that tonight's broadcast was and the <laughs> the vocal blowjob of the Houston Astros on national TV by Carl Ravitch, the White Sox lately have been compared to last year's world champion Atlanta Braves team solely because they hit rock bottom around the beginning of June. Um, the White Sox run differential at that point was much worse than the Braves was. Theirs on June 3rd was 
negative three. The White Sox on June 3rd was like negative 56. And then they ended up coming back to win it all with 88 wins in the regular season. The White Sox probably on track for, I mean, I don't want to say on track, but because they're on track for like 71 wins, but they're probably, they can win the AL Central with like 85 wins. The Atlanta Braves had plenty in the system to help out when Ronald Acuna went down, Ronald Acuna Jr. The White Sox don't have that. They don't. They have the worst farm system in baseball. You see with their most major league ready AAA outfielder being Adam Hazley, and we've talked plenty about him today. They are not the same as the Atlanta Braves. Who in the White Sox pipeline that you pay close attention to is even close to being ready to play in the major leagues? Is it Lennon Sosa? Is it Gilbert Sanchez? Is it Carlos Perez? Because I know there's a lot of Rule 25 draft issues here with some of these guys too. They're going to have to be rostered. Right. That's important. You know, and the White Sox are very meticulous when it comes to their 40 man roster. And, you know, Adam Hazley is a guy who signed on a minor league deal. So it was easy to get him up and down on the 40 man and add him uh, as well as the fact that he was hitting like 360 over the last month. So, you know, the White Sox had reason to call up Adam Hazley, but he's a guy who's had big league experience and somebody who was a high draft pick in the past. That's somebody they acquired in terms of those who are they, they're, they're drafting and developing in the immediate sense. You're thinking of guys like you've mentioned Lenyon Sosa is definitely a, on that list. He's a 22 year old who was just dominating. And um, I mean, he's been in the system since he was 17 years old. So now in Birmingham, he's proving that he's elite. And we were talking about it today on the future Sox podcast, actually, that we were considering ranking him second, their second best prospect. You talk about Colson Montgomery at the top, who's a 20 year old shortstop in single A is going to take some time. And then it's Oscar Colas, who's a 23 year old international outfielder, left-handed bat who is getting his first full professional season stateside. Oscar Colas is the big name that a lot of people are looking forward to. He's probably not going to be ready until next year. So he's hitting the piss out of the ball too. Yeah. I mean, he's hitting the piss out of the ball. He had some wrist injuries that have slowed him down. He hasn't been in the lineup consistently all year, but what we've seen, especially in June and late May is that he's really putting bat to ball in the barrel is carrying. So when it comes to like just the immediate sense, you you think about guys on the infield, they have some really good prospects, like like prime prospects that they could probably trade and get some value for. But again, these are the currency of the game and they're single A, like low end prospects who are as much of a value for the White Sox as anyone. So like in reality, there's not a lot of help. Yolbert Sanchez is a good utility infielder, but what you're really looking for right now is, you know, consistent at bats from the left side. And they just really don't have that in the immediate sense. Who is the first one that you see cracking in major league roster? Well, you, Romy Gonzalez did it last year. No, I don't want to hear about Romy Gonzalez. If you get Romy Gonzalez's name the hell off this podcast, I don't give a shit about okay. Romy Gonzalez. Sure, he doesn't count. Let's let's forget I even said that. Yolbert Sanchez is probably next man up, just given the fact that you know he can do what Josh Harrison does and he can do it better. But it depends on how they value Danny Mendick and Leary Garcia, the severity of what he's going through currently. So Yolbert's ready to play now. It's just a matter of do the White Sox want to throw him on the 40-man and start his clock and get him up to the big leagues right away because that's probably the most major league ready at this point. A winning team would want to have Yolbert Sanchez on its major league roster instead of Josh Harrison. He put together four non-competitive at-bats tonight in the last one in the eighth inning. Um, it should have been a strikeout. He It was a, a brutal check swing that sure. was called a ball, and then he got another chance and then another ball. 
Josh Harrison is not putting together competitive at-bats. I, I would have liked to even see Larry Garcia out there tonight instead of him. So you like Gilbert Sanchez to crack maybe the major league roster this season. I would say he's got a good chance because he's, he's most major league ready, but I was, it's not against Josh Harrison. Like, you know, sorry, you're bad. You know what I mean? Like you're doing your best. You're bad. But the White Sox put too much stock into Josh Harrison being their everyday second baseman. And it was sort of unfair to a guy over the last several seasons who was more of a back end of the roster player. Yeah. Yeah. It's they're, they're trying to capture like the, the Brian Goodwin thing and the Billy Hamilton thing, some major league veteran that just, captures lightning in a bottle it's bullshit i hate everything um so i am so tired of the astros cheating uh still being a focal point of every national broadcast but tonight took it to a completely new level jose altuve thank god it was a short inning in the top of the third was mic'd up on the national broadcast and he was fine, whatever. He's a scumbag, just like the rest of them. And Astro fans get out of my mention saying that it was proved that that Jose Altuve was not one of the cheaters. Jose Altuve hit that home run and told his teammates to not take his jersey off because he had a freaking wire and a buzzer underneath it. Oh, well, yeah, tattoo, a new tattoo. Yeah, 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 that tattoo that his wife hated, sure. Yeah. When that inning was over, when the Astros came up to bat in the bottom of the third, Carl Ravitch went on this monologue asking fans to leave Jose Altuve alone. And there was a time in New York when when the Astros were in town and the, the Yankees fans were so mean to him. And they were saying all these mean things about him being a cheater. And Carl Ravitch starting the, the campaign for Jose Altuve as baseball's nicest man. I am so tired of this bullshit where the national pundits are protecting the Astros for what? Like for what? Yeah, I'm I think tired of it. I think they're just trying to protect their game. You know, I mean baseball baseball's already dying. You know <laughs> there's really no justifying everybody involved in the Astros scandal because especially the way that they tried to oust themselves as not like just they were involved, you know, they were involved. So however you as an individual can uh, understand and like how cheating makes you feel, how the integrity of the game makes you feel is really. How does cheating make you feel, Mike? I want some emotion <laughs> from you on how cheating makes you feel. Well, I, I think going above and beyond, like the whole trying to get a competitive advantage thing, I totally respect. Like if you're on second base trying to steal signs and you pick them yeah. up and you relay them to the batter, that's awesome. Yes. Or if you're like mixing sunscreen with rosin and you get a little bit more sticky on your fingers to get some yeah. spin, whatever. Fine. But having somebody in center field with a camera dedicated zoomed into the catcher's signs, that that is absolutely disgracing the integrity of the game. So like on that sense, sure. But from ESPN sense, it's like, hey, man, we need you to watch our baseball games. Like we like the Astros, you know, they're really good. So pay attention to them again. Let's forget about all the nonsense. That brings me to the other incredibly frustrating moment of tonight's bullshit broadcast. When Medjevic hit his first major league yeah. home run this and that dumbass kid with the mullet, Ryland, Riley, Kaylee, Tucker, you know, his name. Was. That's the they, thing. They, they said they, his name. They gave him a full five minutes and the mic cut out. Like, what was this? Riley something? It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it's some millennial Sorry. bullshit name. Like, oh my God, you spoiled, selfish little fuck. Wow. That's that kid's major league, his first major league home run. And this this guy is negotiating 
with a part-time clubhouse hand, seeing what he can get for that baseball. Give the baseball back and take what you get and don't ask for more. Well, Shane, yeah, first career Major League Baseball home run, right? Okay. But also, first time a guy caught somebody else's first Major League home run. So, like, how often does that happen in your life, the guy who caught the ball? So, like, let's take advantage of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the fan. No, no. See, so, this is this is like the same thing as the the Tom Brady football, where that that guy negotiated right. like crazy and got a Bitcoin out of it. That's you, you know what that football means to Tom Brady. You know what that baseball means to Matajevich. Just but you know what back. signed jerseys and autographed memorabilia uh, means to yeah, those who you know i mean it means that that kid's never having sex that's what okay. it means he's just well, he's never gonna have sex he's gonna have it's, an autographed jersey from a oh, major league baseball player. oh gosh okay so he's gonna where's he gonna put justin verlander's signed jersey like you know, put that up and just, what do you you just get to look at it <laughs> he has a driver man can he can sell it if he wants you know what i mean this isn't like you put on justin verlander's signed jersey and you assume the powers of justin verlander it's a freaking jersey man well, <laughs> share the memory with the guy who just hit his first major league homework. You're, you're there with your father. You're there with your younger brother. Okay. You just caught this ball. How cool sure. is that? And now it's even more special that I get to give the ball back to the guy who hit the homer. However, when are you ever going to have the amount of leverage you do again? Right? Because the kid, obviously, he like he wants his home run ball. And you don't I have understand. to give it back. Yeah. I understand. What I'm saying is assuming leverage is wrong in the situation. Okay. This is not a situation where you should capitalize on leverage. This is a situation <laughs> where you should make the guy happy that just hit his first major league homer and then take whatever they offer you. Yeah. They come to you and say, hey, what do you want from the ball? And you say, if this is me, whatever you, you planned on giving me, give it to me. I just want to make sure he gets his ball back. That's well, how got, I would handle it. He got an interview on it, out of it on a national television. So that's oh, a win for, for everybody, really. It's a win for, for us all. I want to beat him up. Okay, so I think it's it's considered a win to get out of this series, not being swept, and to at least put together a couple of decently competitive games. Now you've got three against the Toronto Blue Jays, the second or the second best team in the East, in my opinion, uh, regardless of what the standings say. Um, but then after that, you get into July – and you got a couple against the, a few against the angels, but you get into July, you've got 19 straight against divisional opponents. And that's where the season is either won or lost And those 19 games back to back to back to back to back to back against the tigers, Royals, twins, guardians. That's where it is, but you still have to get out of this stretch against the blue Jays with at least one. And then you get to lick your wounds against the Orioles this weekend. And then you have the, the angels. What do you expect from a Lance Lynn to Dylan Cease to Lucas Giolito three-game stretch against the Toronto Blue Jays? Boy, that's a great question. And you think I'm thinking ahead too with all those division games that this this could be the telling point of the season. Obviously, it leads into the deadline and all those things. But the White Sox to me aren't a World Series contender. I'm watching this White Sox team as if they're a, a middle-of-the-road, very mediocre ball club trying to compete against teams they should beat and then ultimately losing. Like this has happened all season long. When you talk about like the strengths of the White Sox. It should be their lineup, but they get beat so often by good pitching. So, you know, if, if the Blue Jays can pitch it, the White Sox can't hang because that offense cannot keep up with the Blue Jays. And you're looking at at Baltimore. Look, Baltimore's been the laughing stock of the league for several years, and 
This even goes back to the past and the way the organization develops and runs their franchise. Right now, their lineup is pretty damn good. Like they have several prospects and names who are not household, but you'll start to recognize them more and more as you pay attention to Major League Baseball, period. But looking ahead, I mean, you got to look, Cleveland's not a pushover, period, especially the way they pitch. And the White Sox can't hit good pitching, like I said. I want to reiterate that. They can't hit good pitching. So this is going to be a tough stretch. In the immediate sense, I want to see progress from Lance Lynn. I got to see, you know, it's a start-by-start evaluation of Lance Lynn and where he's at in his career at this point with the White Sox this season because you miss all that time. Just get me to a point in August where you're back. Everything else in the meantime – just be competitive for me. Stay healthy. Get me through five. Spell the bullpen. Give us a chance to win. But by August, make sure that you're at your best because they're going to need them big time. What do you expect they add to the deadline or get rid of or sell? I want them to get Tyler Malley of the Cincinnati Reds. I think he's a great fit. You get a 27-year-old right-hander. You look at his numbers, and they're not eye-popping, but – He's got a year and a half of control left, exactly what the White Sox are looking for in terms of cost-controllable arm for what they're able to give up. And it's it, it's not easy to say goodbye to some of these top prospects because that is the future. Like You don't want to compromise the White Sox competitive window now by sitting tight with your prospects, but you also don't want to jeopardize your future. So I'll be interested to see what the White Sox decide to do. It'll be interesting. When the team is fully healthy, and I mean a Yoan Moncada fully back, Tim Anderson fully back, Eloy Jimenez fully back, who gets the majority of innings at third base, left field, right field, and DH? Well, you got to play Moncada. You got to play him as much as you can, uh, whether or not he struggles. Like, that's just where the White Sox are. He's a core piece. Uh, Do you slide Berger over to second base then? Well, that's the thing is like with Jake Berger, you find him in the lineup as a DH or you have him start at third and give Moncada spells. That's the only way. And it also depends on the way Jake Berger's been hitting. Obviously, Berger's been a light in a dark tunnel this year for the White Sox offense. But, you know, how sustainable is that? And his defense, I, I don't trust him at second. Shane, I don't want Jake Berger at second base. Give me Danny okay. Mendick there or give me Yolbert Sanchez there. But don't think too hard about this. Don't make your lineup full of lefties who can't hit. Just put Jake Berger in the lineup against the righty. It's fine. You can do that. With Aloy, you start him in left because, ugh, I mean, if you DH him, you DH A him. Lefty, that's great. Berger. You mean lefty on Berger? No, I, I, it doesn't matter. Like if it's a righty or a lefty in the line, okay. uh, on the okay. mound, start Berger in the lineup, whether it's righty or lefty, because okay. you know he can hit and others can't. But Aloy's got to play every day. Andrew Vaughn has to play every day. The White Sox will figure it out. Okay. How's your uh, Cornhole League looking? I'll tell you what. We had four wins last week. which No was, way. Yeah, I'll tell you that. I was involved in three of them. No, yeah, Whatever. But I'm just saying. And uh, our record has improved to, let me do the math here, 22 and 99. <laughs> and we are seven weeks most, in. <laughs> I, the most flabbergasting thing about that league is not how bad you guys are. It's the fact that it's 27 weeks long. <laughs> That was the most heartbreaking radio segment I've ever listened to when you broke down for Campy and Dan Bernstein how bad your cornhole team is. Well, I appreciate the sympathy, but uh, we're yeah. getting better every week, and only way to go is up because there's literally nobody behind us in the standings. Sure, match by match. Mike Rankin, Future Sox, and at Rankin906 on Twitter. Thank you very much for filling in for Gabe Ramirez. Gabe will be back on Thursday where we will break down 
the White Sox likely getting swept by the Blue Jays and approaching a weekend series against the Baltimore Orioles. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe to the Southsider 670 podcast feed. Mike Rankin, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Shane. Good stuff. Talk to you guys on Thursday.